0: Well, we're in a series about the roles that we play in life from friend to neighbor to spouse, and this week, as you've already heard, we're talking about being an employee. Most people will spend more time at work than they will in any other role that they play in life. Between college graduation and retirement, you'll probably work roughly ten or 100,000 hours. That's more time than you'll do anything else, including sleeping. So it's probably something we ought to talk about. Many have conflicted feelings about work. On one extreme are those who just love their jobs, they're defined by their jobs, it's really who they are, and then on the other extreme are those who are just punching the clock. If they didn't need the money, they'd quit on the spot, and they're thinking, in a perfect world, I would uh, not have to work, in fact, nobody would have to work, and we'd just sit around all day playing video games, watching Netflix, and eating Doritos, except that if everyone did that, who would make the video games or even the couch that you're sitting on? But the first thing we should get out of the way is is work good or bad? It's obviously not an ultimate thing. If that's true, then it becomes an idol. But overall, the work is a good thing. In fact, the Bible describes God as a worker. He's the one who created the world and sustains the world. He even gave Adam and Eve jobs in the Garden of Eden before they rebelled against God. Um, So work is good, it's not inherently evil. You could even say in some ways that our jobs are sacred. They matter to God. That's why we have all experienced joy at some times in our lives when we are doing what we're really good at and finding meaningful. But work today is complicated because frequently we're dealing now more and more with job insecurity. You may love your job. Um, You may even wonder, though, at the same time, whether you'll have that job in a year. Some people are predicting that half of the jobs that now exist in 10, 20 years may be eliminated because they'll be automated through uh, robots, drones, self-driving vehicles, automated kiosks, robo-traders, self-learning software, 3D printers, and other forms of artificial intelligence. One study said that every time a robot is employed or deployed in a factory, it eliminates three to six jobs. Now before we start panicking, experts are also saying that there are limits to technology. Machines can do a lot. In fact, they're getting better and better. But humans still have huge advantages. The truth is is that technology does not have the capacity for um, creative expression, for collaboration, or for moral imagination. And I would argue technology will never be able to duplicate what makes a human being unique, despite what the evangelists for artificial intelligence might say. So if we can conclude that work is a good thing, even if work today is fraught with challenges and difficulties, how then can we be good employees? Now, before we get started with some suggestions that I have, let me just address three groups of people that I want to make sure feel included in this conversation. And the first is, if you're a student, and I mean everything from grade school through college, sometimes you may think, oh, you know, I'm going to tune that out because I'm not yet working, except that you are, because being a student is your job. Now, you may also play on a team, sing in a choir, play an instrument. All those are things that require some level of discipline and work. So even though you're not an adult, um, you should listen in on what we have to say. A second group is those who are stay-at-home moms and dads. Now, choosing to stay at home with your kids or not is really a, a choice that every family has to wrestle with, but the deal is, for all of you who do work at home, you know that what you're doing is really hard work, and the rest of us need to acknowledge that. So my advice is that include yourselves when we're talking about what it means to to work. Finally, the other group of people I want to address are people who may not yet be followers of Jesus Christ. You're just exploring faith and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. And so you're thinking, okay, if we're gonna talk about what maybe the Bible has to say about work, then maybe this doesn't apply to me. And I think there will be a few things that may be unique to those who call themselves Christians. But the bulk of what we're gonna talk about Is really wisdom that comes from the Bible, but it's also wisdom that comes from the world around us as well. So I think it applies to everyone. I do, though, want to make six suggestions today. And when I give you the list, especially the first couple may seem like just total no-brainers, but I think it's worth us talking about them. And the first of these is that we need to earn a living. That means to pursue some level of economic independence. So for example, in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul says, the one who's unwilling to work should not eat. Now, he's talking in a sort of remedial sense, but we understand that when we work, we provide for ourselves some level of economic independence. In another place, in 1 Timothy 5 8, he says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's kind of harsh, but you get the point. Now, let me just caution you and say that not everyone can work, either because of disability or unemployment or some other reason. But most can. Now, while Paul is encouraging some level of self-sufficiency, he isn't suggesting, though, that everything that we earn is ours. In fact, if we make more than enough, the challenge, he challenges us to be generous with what we have. Let me give you an example from Ephesians 4.28. A little bit of a strange verse, but I think you'll see the point. He says, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So apparently there were some folks in Ephesus who were maybe cutting corners, maybe they are outright stealing. Whatever they were doing, he said, stop that, work with your hands, or we can include work with your mind, whatever it is that you've been given to do, and then when you have more than enough, be generous with others. So work enables us to provide for ourselves, for our families, and for others. So in short, work is one of the ways that we fulfill our social responsibilities, now, another important value is to do the right thing. This is really about ethics. So in Proverbs eleven three 3, it says, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. And we've all heard about unscrupulous business leaders and doctors who cut corners and contractors who do shoddy work. There are not many, but there are some who do that. But a good employee who does the right thing, even when it's inconvenient, is someone who does the right thing. I uh, used to teach business ethics in an MBA program here in town and um, had a student one year, and this is, I think, the late 2000s, and, and she had worked for a mortgage uh, company, a company that issued mortgages in the early 2000s, and she had an HR role, so she wasn't involved with the brokers who were selling the mortgages, but she watched increasingly as the years went by as the brokers began to steer clients toward riskier and riskier mortgage products. So she approached management with concern. She said, you know, this is not really good for our clients, maybe profitable for us and profitable for the brokers, but it's not good for our clients, and she was told to be quiet. Basically, there was a priority there. It was lucrative for the firm, and so just be quiet. So she decided to violate the cardinal rule of career management, and she quit before she had another job. She just couldn't stomach the idea of working for a company that violated her ethical concerns. Now, all of that was before the mortgage-backed security business blew up and just about took our economy down. So she understood and made a decision because of that. The next value I want to talk about is one that is, in some ways, just for Christians. That's to share your faith. Um, I know that talking about faith can be challenging in the marketplace today. In fact, if you're exploring faith, this is probably one of the things that makes you most nervous about people who call themselves Christians. Because what you don't want to do is be ambushed at work by somebody with a lot of God talk. What it means for those of us who do follow follow Jesus Christ is that we need to be respectful when we're talking about our faith. We need to respect the boundaries and do it when it's appropriate. But it's also true that we don't have to remain silent if we're invited into a conversation or if someone asks a question. When I worked at General Mills at a little business unit that I ran, and, and one of the People who worked in that unit was a new MBA. She'd gotten an MBA from Wisconsin. And um, one morning she came into my office. It was a Monday morning. She shut the door, which was a little odd. And she said, "Um, I had one more bad date this weekend. She said, Where am I going to meet some nice guys? I was so taken back, so surprised by her question. I just said, Church? And um, (laughs) she said, Well, it can't hurt. And so she began to ask me and ended up actually coming and visiting the church that I was attending at the time, and through that, reconnected with her childhood faith, met a guy named Tim, has been married for over 20 years, they've got three kids, and that's the end of the story. <laughs> Here's why this is all important. Um, I know you've probably read news articles saying that America's becoming decreasingly religious, or, or religion is declining. I think the reports are a little exaggerated, although I think the trend in general is True. My own take on it is that about a third of Americans are connected to a faith community. They attend multiple times a month, and that's an important part of their lives. About a third of people in America really have a loose connection, maybe only attend church once or twice a year, um, but they are open to an invitation. If you invited them and they felt like it was something that connected for them, they might well come. But about a third of folks have faith at an arm's length. The only way that The second, the third group for particularly, but even the second group will learn about Jesus is through us, through what we do through our lives, our work, and our communities. Paul and the other New Testament writers acknowledge this. So, for example, St. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4:12 said, Work in such a way that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. So he was acknowledging. That the way we live our lives creates kind of a favorable environment where people are willing to listen or even ask us about what we might have to share. In another place, in uh, the writings of St. Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, closest friends, 1 Peter 3.15, he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So what he's saying here really is be prepared so if people see something different in your life and they ask a question, you can give a reasonable answer. Do it though with gentleness and respect. It's important. Um, Kara mentioned in the announcements that this coming Sunday, next Sunday, is our annual meeting Sunday, and I hope you bring your chili and come and uh, experience that. Um, And one of the things that we talk about is the objectives for the coming year, and one of those has my name on it, and it is to develop a class to help us to learn to talk about our faith in comfortable and sensitive ways. We're going to talk about how to tell God's story and how to tell your own story in a way that helps people along their way in their journey toward God. So I hope you'll participate in that this next year. Now, the fourth suggestion is to do good work. And good work starts with hard work, and hard work starts with basically just showing up. Woody Allen said 80% of success is just showing up. And that same idea is in the Bible, in Proverbs 12:24: Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. But good work is more than just punching the clock. Good work is also done with excellence, from Proverbs 22:29, 29, um, the uh, writer says, Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. Now, what he means here is that um, excellence, giving your best, makes a difference. Other people notice it. There's an interesting passage in um, Exodus 31. Exodus is the time when the nation of Israel is in the wilderness. They're making their way toward the promised land. They have a 40-year time in that, uh, in that journey. And what God instructs them to do is to build what they call a tabernacle. It's really a tent, although it's not just your average canvas army tent. This is a, a large tent, very elaborate and ornate. But it's the place we're there to worship God. And he gives specific instructions about how they're to build it. And then in Exodus 31, he chooses several craftsmen uh, to do the work. And he says this, I have chosen Bielza and have filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artisan designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. This is one of those places in the Bible where you see that all work matters to God. This is a carpenter, a really good carpenter, um, someone who is empowered by God to do the work that God's given them to do. Dorothy Sayers wrote mystery novels, uh, crime novels, and she was also a poet and a playwright. And she was a Christian. And she once wrote this about uh, what she called an excellent or intelligent carpenter. She said the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to drink, um, not to get drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sunday. Then she said this, what the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. Make good tables. A friend of mine used to pastor a church in uh, northern Minnesota, in rural northern Minnesota, and uh, he said one of his favorite people in the church was a man named Willis. He said Willis had done a lot of jobs over the years. He'd raised beef cattle, he'd driven a fuel truck, worked on a highway crew. But the last 15 or 20 years of his working career, he had installed and repaired furnaces. One day, Matt asked uh, Willis what he liked about his job, and Willis said, well, when I close up the toolbox and I head up the stairs, I turn around and I take one more good look at that furnace and know that I did the best job I could do as a Christian. The idea of doing good work can also, I think, be expanded to doing good works. That means to be a good employee, we can make a difference. That is, we can make the world a better place. Proverbs 11.10 says, When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Now, the righteous he's talking about here are people who do what God wants, care about what God cares about, and use the things that God has given them responsibly and generously. These are people who are willing to set aside personal prosperity for the good of the community. And he's contrasting them here with the wicked, who put their own desires ahead of the needs of the community. And when this happens, a city rejoices. That means that they rejoice because those at the top have not used their prosperity as a means of self-enrichment, but as a way to bless others. And when others, people at the top act like this, the whole community cheers and everyone benefits. When I was working for General Mills one time, I had an early morning flight to Kansas City. I was going there to negotiate the extension of a contract with a supplier that we had, and um, flight was at 7 o'clock, and I had a nice seat, window seat, and it was a sunny day, beautiful day. And I, I pulled a little Bible out that I had in my briefcase and read just for a few minutes before I had to do some work to get ready for the meeting that I was going to. And that morning, I happened to read from a chapter, Matthew 25, a story that some of you may be familiar with. Uh, it's a story that uh, Jesus tells. It's um, kind of metaphor for how to think about the end of time, when uh, things all end, and he's talking about how he will separate people into those, into those who are sheep and those who are goats. It's, a, it's an example that he uses to explain the difference between those who go to heaven and those who don't. Um, the criteria, he said, is those who will be going to heaven are those who do something for the least of these. And he says, when you do that, you're doing it for me. And what was he talking about? Well, he was talking about things like feeding people, befriending them, clothing them, housing them, visiting in prison. And um, when I read what I read that day, I felt a little guilty because I wasn't um, volunteering at a food shelf or serving in a homeless shelter or doing some prison work. So I landed, felt a little guilty, but um, I had a meeting to go to. And I got in my rental car, drove to the meeting with this supplier. And what I found, I was really impressed with. We'd been buying product from this company for a while, but I'd never been there personally. And what I found was an innovative little company led by an entrepreneur who'd created a business that employed about 100 people, and they were doing great work. At the end of the day, I got back in my rental car, drove to the airport, got on the plane, and Matthew 25 was reverberating in my mind. And suddenly I had an epiphany, and that is that I know that as Christians, we ought to volunteer at CES. So October 10th sign up. Um, Simpson Shelter, the Feed My Starving Children. But I also realized that my job was a way of fulfilling this command, another way of looking at this little company that was making a good product and providing jobs for more than 100 people. So even what I was doing is helping to feed, clothe, and house people. If we create jobs, then we're doing something that will keep people from being desperate enough to commit crimes. And I know this is simplistic, and I know it's incomplete, but it's true. Whatever we do, we can do in a way that provides for the needs of others. And if we do good works, communities prosper, cities flourish, and people's lives can be transformed. And it's not just business. We need all sectors of society doing what they can do to make our society flourish. So market forces are important. Adam Smith's invisible hand is not the hand of God. Business has an important role in creating goods and services and meaningful work, but we also need education and health care and social work and nonprofits and NGOs to make our world flourish. Now, I was working on this talk on Friday morning, and I got a phone call from someone here at City Church. And um, he quickly said, I don't have a lot of time, but I wanted to ask you to pray for me. And I thought, oh, no, what's going on? And he said, no, everything's good. He said, but I could use some prayer He works in sales for a food company here in town, not General Mills, it's a competitor, Um, but uh, his work is primarily in sales in Central, South America, and the Caribbean. So in the last few weeks, with two hurricanes and two earthquakes, his customers have been hurting. In fact, he said, what I'm hearing is heartbreaking. So about 10 days ago, he decided to do something, and he started emailing people in his company knowing that they had products that could get to the places that need it most. And so he started sending emails up and down the line to people at different levels, trying to figure out what they could do. And at first, he only got a lukewarm response, but he said on Wednesday, some positive emails started to trickle in. His boss gave him some approval to start doing some things. He said that by Thursday was kind of a, almost a deluge. And he was calling me late in the morning to tell me that at 1 o'clock, he had 45 people committed to participate in a conference call. Two VPs, four directors, and he, they were just going to explore what the company might do. So he said, John, pray that I will have wisdom, that God will guide me as I facilitate what our company might do. And I, I was speechless. I told him I was so proud of him. Now, realize this is somebody in the middle of a company. It's not the CEO or a VP, just a guy asking a question, what can I do? What can we do? And pretty soon, he's leading people up and down the organization to respond to a serious humanitarian crisis. That's the kind of story, by the way, that makes a pastor proud. And he told me between services that the result of that conference call is they've assigned five people to a little team and have asked him to lead that team to figure out how to make this happen. Now, you may never have an opportunity that dramatic, but all of us have influence wherever we are. Our opportunities may be modest, but sometimes we can nudge things in a good direction. In doing that, we're doing good works. I have one final idea that may sound a bit esoteric, but I think it could be the most important suggestion of all. C.S. Lewis was an Oxford professor during World War II. Um, During World War I, he'd been a soldier in the British Army, and because of his prior military experience, some of his students sought him out during World War II. Uh, They wondered why it was they should study philosophy and literature and history and even science while the fate of Europe hung in the balance seemed to them to be an odd thing to be doing during such a great war. So Lewis decided to give a talk, and he acknowledged that they had asked a good question, although he said there's an even bigger question, and that is, as a Christian, he said, how can you justify going to college when at every single moment there are some people who are moving toward God and others who are moving away from Him? If human life is short and uncertain, should we study comparative trivialities as art or math or biology when we could be telling people about Jesus. And then he said, I think though that this is a false choice. We need to understand that our entire lives are religious. That there is no such thing as sacred and secular divide. He uh, mentioned that he'd become a Christian, I think at around age 33, and was surprised when he did to learn that everything that he did had a religious dimension to it. He found out that Most of what he did was very similar to what his co-workers did. He didn't stop doing a whole lot of things that he'd done before, although what changed was how and why he did these things. He learned in the process that everything that we do can be done in a way that honors God. And that alone is a big change. The motivation and manner behind what we do. For those of us who have chosen to follow Christ, whether we're building a house, writing a newspaper article, or composing a symphony, we do it all as an offering to God. St. Paul once gave some advice to some Christians in Colossians, or Colossae on how to approach work. And he was specifically addressing slaves, which I think makes what he says much more profound. But really, it applies to everyone. So in Colossians chapter 2, he writes this. Obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Then he says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working to the Lord. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. So no matter what we do, we can do it in a way that serves Christ. So while our bosses matter, God matters more. So whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. Well, each week, we all work in one way or another, even students. We work at home, at schools and hospitals and police departments and social service agencies in the marketplace. So we need to work hard. We need to do what we do with integrity And above all, we can make things around us better. And if we get opportunities, we should do it. But above all, let us serve the Lord Christ in what we do. Let's pray. Father, work's a gift from you. And while work on this earth is challenging and fraught with thorns and thistles and other difficulties and challenges, Father, overall, we thank you for the work that we have to do. We pray, though, for those who are unemployed or underemployed or in work settings that are challenging. We pray that you would lead them and guide them and provide for them. But Father, may we do the work that we do by working hard, by doing good work, doing it with integrity, um, being sincere in uh, serving not only those around us, but also broader culture as a whole. And may we do everything that we do in a way that honors you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.